cliffcentral.com. Let's turn our attention now to African analysis, which is one of my favorite parts of the week. We get to check in with JJ Cornish, Jean-Jacques Cornish, who is ready to tell us about Tunisia this morning. So Jean-Jacques, bonjour. How are you? Bonjour. I'm immensely well. When did you say Lauren made the cut? <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> oh, more of those horrible, <laughs> tasteless jokes. <laughs> well, I didn't say it. You did. That's I just true. want to say at the outset that in Bolelo, I want my Dylan Thomas, I got snot flying with him, T-shirt back. All right? <laughs> if you don't know that Go Gently Into the Sweet Night was Dylan Thomas, uh, for his daddy. His daddy was about to buy the farm, and Dylan wrote this beautiful poem. But Dylan Thomas's best line was, he was a man much the worse for drink, came to the door of an aristocratic friend, yes. knocked on it, wishing for more drink, obviously. The man opened the door and said, Dylan, I'm very sorry. I can't let you in. I'm entertaining. <laughs> and Dylan said, not not very. Shout out to Dylan Scott. That's amazing. All right. That's probably the best story I've heard in about three weeks. That's fantastic, JJ. Thank you. <laughs> Tell us about Tunisia because, as I mentioned in the introduction a little earlier on, or rather when I was telling people we would be joined by you this morning, um, Tunisia is a, a funny place because it's in that group of, of North African countries who sometimes consider themselves part of the rest of Africa. And sometimes, very conveniently, when it suits them, they're not part of Africa. You know, they speak Arabic in that part of the world, not French and English like the rest of the continent or many other, many, many other languages. Um, they don't consider themselves part of the Francophone or Anglophone areas of influence. They're also not really like the rest of sub-Saharan Africa in many ways because we're separated from them by this huge big desert. And their politics seem more concerned with the affairs of, of Europe or the Middle East than they often do with the rest of Africa. Am I wrong? Absolutely, absolutely, 100% correct. Tunisia, 11.5 million people, tiny little country. It's not, in, you know, they have in the Arab world, when you look at the north of Africa, the Mashrek, which is what we would call Mpumalanga, where the sun rises. Right. And then the Maghreb, where the sun sets. Now, Tunisia is in the middle. It's in a very rough neighborhood in between, sandwiched in between Libya and Algeria, between mm -hmm. the Mashrek and the Maghreb. Uh, it's uh, it's a, a, a fantastically interesting little country. They are Arabic when they want to be. They are African when they want to be. And they even claim to be, well, Mediterranean, but they say they're probably European. The island of Lampedusa, the uh, well, the migrant beset island of Lampedusa is close to Tunisia than it is to Italy. From uh, Carthage in the north of, Italy, of Tunisia, you can see Sicily. So you can see Europe from uh, uh, Tunisia. Fantastically interesting little country. Punch above their weight. That is something we have to learn. Yeah. Now, under the old president, the guy who was uh, Ben Ali, who was overthrown uh, in the Arab Spring, he wanted a bridge between uh, Africa uh, north and Africa south. They the most northerly, we the most southerly. Right. And he wanted this bridge. And Nelson Mandela made one of his first trips, foreign trips, to Tunisia as president. Uh, it was the African Union Summit there. Uh, and he then said, well, okay, we've got to do this, uh, said Ben Ali, said to his businessmen, well, uh, we're going to have to create business opportunities and 
make this business link between North and South. The ambassador from Tunisia, a good friend of mine, uh, a very nice man, actually, uh, came to me and said, I don't know what to do. Uh, the businessmen have come and said the president has commanded that we do business with South Africa. <laughs> We've all written to every South African we know, and none of them have come back. Well, the South Africans were more circumspect. You know, no president can tell you who to do business with. The, the dollar rules, and in this case, the dinars rule. Right. And they hadn't come back, and the ambassador felt that he was in trouble, but the poor, sweaty uh, businessmen thought they were in real trouble because they couldn't obey the president's command. <laughs> now, Tunisia, uh, it, it, it's, its strategic importance is underlined by the Phoenicians and then the Romans, then the uh, Ottomans, then the Arabs, and then finally the French. They have Carthage, the Roman city uh, in Tunisia, which is the biggest Roman city in Africa. And uh, the French ruled it from the late 1800s until 1956 when Habib Bourguiba took over. And he actually made the country quite secular. Now, I've been caught in Algeria during uh, the uh, during Ramadan. And uh, there was uh, Ben Ali making a speech at Ramadan, taking a bottle and drinking from the bottle of water, which, of course, shouldn't you shouldn't be doing in the day. But this was the typical of him. The woman not wearing hijab uh, um, in, in Tunisia is quite commonplace. Uh, and and the, uh, he gave the vote to women. But then, sadly, he lost his marbles, and uh, he was ousted in what was effectively a palace coup in about 86. Yeah. And by, by Ben Ali, who turned Tunisia into this incredible police strait. You know, there was a policeman on a motorbike at every exit to the motorway. And I, you know, I was driving over a visit to Tunisia many times, and I said to my host, but, you know, I mean, how, and a, a policeman on every bus and a policeman on, in every train carriage. And I said, well, this is an absolute police state, isn't it? And the guy said with pride, yes, it is. <laughs> they thought it was fantastic. <laughs> but hang you on. Know, keep, keeping you, order when you and say, comparing it to what was happening in Libya and Algeria, well, maybe not a bad thing. Huh? No, you say that the guy lost his marbles. What actually happened there? I mean, that's, that's too good a story to just gloss over like that. Uh, before Ben Ali, he, he lost his mind. What happened? Well, I would think it's it's a little bit of age and, and, and other things creeping in. None of you young buggers at the other end of this microphone would understand <laughs> what I'm talking about. But it's going to happen to you too. <laughs> remember, you, you very kindly don't remember when I, when, I, when I had the death toll in hundreds of millions and blamed it on Donald Trump. Thank you for that. <laughs> no, but, but, you know, I think it was a little bit of uh, dementia and so on. Uh, mm. So he's still considered uh, very highly, and there's Habib Bourguiba Avenue, one of the main avenues in uh, Tunis, the capital. Uh, so then uh, comes Arab Spring, and uh, they obviously enjoy old people because, the, the you know, then uh, Tunisia winning the, the Nobel Peace Prize, uh, you know, the way they had democratized. And their president, Beji Kaida Sepsi, he died in July 19. He was over in July 29. He was over 90 years old. So he, too, was, you know, away with the fairies to some extent, as the Irish like to say. Uh, and then in that, I, I observed that election where, uh, where uh, the the new president Kais Saeed, again, not a no no uh, a threat to Michael Jackson or any of the other young uh, entertainers. He's a, a former uh, ju a judge and he's also a former law professor. 
and he speaks in this classical Arabic. So he's a he's a, a distant figure in a way, but he is, hasn't got the majority party in parliament, in Akhta, which is, they like to refer themselves as, as moderate Islamist party. They're in charge. Uh, and he's had to put in a, 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 a prime minister from the previous uh, the outgoing uh, government. Well, they, they've done badly on COVID. They've had... Uh, uh, nearly half a million cases, and they've got uh, more than 20,000 deaths. And last week, Kais uh, Said sacked the Prime Minister and the Defence Minister and froze Parliament. Well, I mean, that's caused a huge constitutional crisis. A lot of the people standing for him and, and went to the streets for him, a lot of people went against. And uh, they've had Arabic or North African members uh, or leaders meeting to talk about what to do in this country. Because interestingly, it's a small country. It depends on agriculture, which is very good. Uh, they will tell you, the Tunisians, that they determined the proper distance for olive trees to be planted apart. And the rest oh, of the world followed. That's very, <laughs> well, that's very, my, that's very handy. Something my guy, something my guy told me as he pointed to these enormous olive droves and then tourism is massive 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 uh and and of course they had these tourist attacks in 2015 that killed something like what is it 60 people mostly foreigners wow. and that absolutely wrecked their, their tourism industry on which they depend hugely now t- tunisia is wealthier than uh libya wealthier than oil rich libya eh? wealthier than um in terms of gdp uh per capita and wealthier than algeria and so that's a very big concern and and, and right now when i went there for the last time in 2019 i went twice for elections parliamentary and then uh, presidential and then parliamentary. Uh, you go into the shops and, I mean, they've got sales and they're trying desperately to get uh, um, the economy going again, but they're battling enormously. But there we have uh, uh, this country at the moment in, in the state of crisis with the rest of the North African Arab world looking on and uh, 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 this very distant, very academic, classical uh, president saying, "What? What? When you know he's 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 frozen his parliament. Uh, so so uh, you know once again the democracy of of uh, you know, Tunisia is under threat. You know, JJ. I mean, I I think yes. of I think of what you're talking about here with Tunisia, and I think about uh, Rwanda or Paul Kagame, and I think that sometimes we have these um, incredibly effective and efficient." Uh, and, and quite autocratic rulers. And then we have these really badly run democracies. And I can understand why some people go, hmm, maybe autocracy is a better option for us in some countries. Because, you know, if you're the kind of person who, like your tour guide, uh, was proud of the fact that he lives in a police state, we tend to apply our rules to, to all these countries. And, you know, maybe some of the people in them would rather have an autocrat uh, and some of these autocrats maybe do a better job. And, and I mean, it's horrible to say it's, you know, it's sacrilege to um, Western liberal democracy to say these things. But maybe for the people of Tunisia or for the people of Rwanda, sometimes these are the better options. Or for the people of Japan or for the people of South Korea. Right. South Korea, at the end of the war, way uh, uh, trailed way behind Kenya 
yeah. as uh, you know, in terms of GDP per capita and so on. Right. Of course, it overtook it, and is one of the richest countries in both those countries, which I visited and had be people speak, saying, you know, after the war, nobody questioned. There was no democracy in Japan, but it grew. At you know, the people you'd stand on the railway platform waiting to get home, people would fall over from hunger. But they were growing all the time and working. And the emperor said, education is the answer. Uh, I will never refuse a request for an interview with a teacher. Things like that. Hmm. South Korea, the South Korean said it, you know, in the most diplomatic way he could. But if they had not had a very autocratic government Mm -hmm. for a long, long time, they would never have grown. He said, perhaps, as you just said, perhaps it would be a good thing for some African countries. We were musing. He said, of course, now it is too late. He also mentioned that perhaps if uh, Russia had uh, changed uh, instead of going sort of from a communist system into a devil take the hindmost after that, uh, Russia would have done a lot better. <laughs> so the fact that at some point you might need an autocracy, <sighs> but I do think uh, that that boat has sailed for us and for other most other African countries. Yeah. But I wouldn't want I wouldn't want to have a, a Rwandan system. In fact, Gareth, the truth is the only admirers of Rwanda that I've seen in my country in South Africa, have been Mlungus who've gone there oh, really? and said, isn't that, isn't that place clean? Uh, isn't uh. that place orderly? <laughs> you know, if there's no litter, that's okay. The fact that the president actually comes to South Africa and kills his opponents or sends yeah. his people to do that doesn't seem to matter. Yeah, there's well, no litter in the streets. I mean, listen, South and Af- you can walk around after 9 o'clock yeah. at night. How I mean, cool. <laughs> South Africa has exactly, no... Exactly, JJ. As long as Cheryl can go for a walk... Uh, th- that's all she wants. Is it? I just no litter where I walk. You know, I just got these new shoes. My my bubby, uh, my bubby just sent me the money. He's the best son. He's a he's a dentist. Well, with your vast salary and expenses, you can probably afford private security. So no. you're okay. Too. <laughs> no. Well, let's let's not forget that we've we've had uh, much stranger bedfellows than Paul Paul Kagame. We had old Omar Al Bashir here for a while. Remember, and we couldn't even get him arrested. And do you remember those dudes during the apartheid days? Some of those Yo, very bad, very dodgy, very bad very... South South Americans who used to come over. And, and I mean, aren't we aren't yeah. we still unreasonably good terms with Teodoro Obiang and Guema? And and his son owned some property in Cape Town, didn't he? I think so. Yeah. Well, they've all uh, got money here. I don't know on good terms with him. Teodoro Obianguema, <laughs> he's uh, he's now being sought by the French. Oh, you know when the French finally get you as an African for corruption, you have definitely you haven't had your hands in the cookie jar. You've been bathing in the cookie jar for a decade or so. They they've come and take it. And they've got. Uh, uh, charged him and Teodoro <laughs> Obianguema said, okay, that's cool. And he's closing his embassy in France. Well, that'll teach them. <laughs> well, JJ, it's always fascinating to hear from you. And thank you very much for a little bit of a bird's eye view of, of Tunisia. It's always interesting. Uh, what country do you want to focus on next? Because we like these. I mean, the, these are almost like, like mini power packed lectures we get on, on various African countries. And we haven't missed a beat with, with interest and, and, uh, illumination so far. What would you like to focus on next? Which country are we going to go and visit next? Well, you name a country and I'll do it. Sure. How about that? Uh, Lebang, you want to go for one? I mean, what, what are you really interested in? Um, I'd really like to know more about like Nigeria and like the truth about what happens there. Like really down to the gritty 
I mean, there's the political analysis yeah. and all of that stuff, but like the root stuff that goes down there. I think if we that's can a good idea. Hop on a plane and go there. I would be delighted. But my my word, one injunction, it will be in a month's time, and I would urge you, Gareth, and you, Mbalela, to wear your cricket protectors because some of the punches will be coming in a bit lower than usual. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much, JJ Cornish. Good to see you. There All we go. the best. JJ Cornish is brought to you on cliffcentral.com by none other than the Joburg Business School. And uh, you can find out more about them by going to cliffcentral.com and you will see all the links are on a special page that we've created for African analysis. You can also catch up on all the other little snapshots we've done of various other countries on the continent. It's part of what we think is necessary because it's, um, this is our, our, our home base. This is our continent and most people know only a little bit about maybe Zim, maybe Mozambique, maybe Botswana, maybe Namibia. Maybe Lesotho and Swaziland, and that's about it. You ask them about anything else, the average South African goes, hmm. They go, Africa, you know, which is not unlike the Americans who think Africa is one country. So there we are. Always good to hear from, from JJ and always get to talk, always good to talk about the things that are going on in current affairs in Africa too. So Tunisia, now hopefully you're able to have a conversation about that with just about anyone. The experts on one hand and the complete novices on another.